All right, well, you guys ready for the word this morning? Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our head as we come to it. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for your goodness and your great love. Father, as we come before you this morning and we spend time dwelling into your word, I pray that our hearts are prepared and ready to receive what you have for us this morning. Father, speak to us. Let us hear your voice voice clearly, Father. And Lord, I just pray that that your word would permeate our hearts and it would would cause a change. It would cause a movement, a shift in our thinking and the way we live our lives. And I just thank you, Father, that we're not going to leave here the same way that we came in. And we gave you, give you praise and thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So, some years ago, I had a, a, a job. It was actually the job that I had before I came here. And uh, when I began to tell them that I was going to be a pastor, they began to treat me a little bit different. Because I told them my, my goals, my plan for the future, the vision that God has given me is to one day leave my job and, and, and focus solely on the ministry, to be able to have the opportunity to, to work full-time in the church and not have to maintain two careers. And, uh, but that was my plan. But as soon as I told them that, I started noticing some changes in the way that they were treating me. So the first thing that happened, and it wasn't anything overt, it was anything, nothing terrible, but um, when I worked with, I had a bunch of clients with this company, and slowly but surely, these clients started getting pulled away from me and giving to somebody else, and they moved me to the project section, which wasn't a bad gig, because then I got to focus more on projects instead of clients, but what I realized that they were doing is they were, they were, they were preparing themselves that if I did leave, it wouldn't impact them. It wasn't impacting the regular customers, and they begin to to make changes and do these kind of things. And I saw the shift. And ultimately, it's actually what made me begin to seek out another job because I was beginning to see that as far as they were concerned, I was expendable. That I could be uh, get, gotten rid of at any point. But one of the things that I did while I was still there is I was still a dedicated and an efficient employee. I still did my job to the best of my ability. I gave them no reason to expedite the situation. I gave them no reason to, to maybe usher me out of the door a little bit sooner so that I wasn't in a, in a tough spot. And, uh, and I did my best to continue working for them and be a good employee, even though I felt like that maybe they were they're treating me differently than they should have treated me. Because I was not going to let their perception of me have an impact on God's purpose and plan for my life and how I was going to live and work for Him, even in the secular world. Amen? Amen? Because as Christians, everything that we do in our life should be to glorify God. And that's one of the things that we're going to begin to, to see Peter talk about. In 1 Peter uh, part 4, we're going through verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 13 through 25. And, and we're going to start to see how Christians should act in society, how Christians should act in this world. And how many know that as members of society, you're responsible to represent Christ to the people around you? How many know that's your job? How many know that even if you didn't know that was your job, that's what you're doing? As soon as you say that you're a Christian, you begin representing Christ, good or bad, to the people around you. You begin to make an impact in the people around you. And if you say you're a Christian, but you act like a, uh, what's a nice word to say? Heathen. We'll use heathen. That's a good enough one for today. People are going to see that. When you start doing dumb stuff, unchristianly things, they're going to start attributing that action, that behavior to God, to Christ. That's why when so many of these, these uh, super famous figures in Christ have done something, they've committed adultery or got, got caught with, with uh, hookers or any of that stuff, you see that that actually uh, 
people begin to attribute that to Christians and to God, and they say, that, why do I want to serve a God if this is what their people is like? I want you to know, as soon as you claim to be a Christian, the life that you live begins to impact and demonstrate what Christianity is to others. It makes a difference. We are responsible to represent Christ and the church to the world. Last week, Peter taught us that we are a royal priesthood. You remember in verse chapter 2, verse 9, it says, but you are a choice, chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. I've noticed two things right now. One, I had coffee and a monster this morning, and my head is going way faster than my mouth. So if I, if I'm, if I stumble words, forgive me. You have to keep up with me. But it says here, the reality is though that we're a royal priesthood, that this comes with responsibilities. It comes with responsibility, and that's actually what we're going to be discussing for the most part today. How many know that there are practical aspects that flow from the theological things that we, re- we learn in the Bible? The, the, it's, it's practical things that flow from the reality of the spiritual inside of us. And today, we're going to be talking about submission. How many of you guys like to submit? <laughs> I didn't get one amen. I just got a bunch of laughing. What's going on? You know, submission, what he's going to talk about today, particularly to submission to the governments that we live in and in our employees, is what he's going to talk about today. But, and I know submission is a four-letter word to most people. But the reality is, is that submission is the foundation of the authority that we have. See, if people looked at submission in the right light, I don't think they would think it's so bad. Submission is what actually gives us the authority. That we have submission to the authority of the Lord Jesus Christ is what gives us His authority to operate in this world. And how many know that submission to the government that we live in right now is what allows us to operate in the freedoms that they currently protect? Now, I realize that, that the government doesn't give us freedoms. They're just there to protect freedoms that God has given to each and every person. Amen? But we have to submit to their authority because it's their job to enforce that. Because if there was no government and we say, I have a, a right to this, somebody could come in and take it. Because they could disagree and there's nothing there to enforce it. So when we submit to the government, we're actually allowing them to do their job to, to enforce rights that we have that were actually given to us and they're inalienable by God. Amen? But what might surprise you as we're talking about submission, because the truth is, how many know it's a lot, a, bit, a lot easier to submit to a righteous person, to somebody who is just? But did you know we're supposed to submit to even the unjust? Doesn't sound like fun, but the truth is, that's what we're going to learn about today. The Bible talks about that. And when you feel unappreciated or you're treated unjustly, like I was just talking about in my previous job, how many of you know that that it is not your right, it's not your job to act rebelliously. You're, even though I was under the authority of that employer, I still had to submit to the authority of that employer as long as I was there. Even if I believed I was being treated unfairly. See, our responsibility is to demonstrate peace and righteousness to those who are around us. And even if they persecute us, even if they deal with us unjustly, even if they hurt us or wrong us in any way, Their accusations are going to have to be dropped if we live our life without reproach in an upright way. They can levy any number of accusations against you, but if you're living right, what are they going to stick to? Amen? So let's go ahead and get started. 1 Peter 2, 
verses 13 through 15. He says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every, how many? Every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to the governor sent by him to punish those who do evil, to praise those who do good, for this is the will of God by doing good for you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So just so we're clear, it is the will of God for you to be subject to human institutions. But you know, as Christians, you're supposed to follow the law. (laughs) We're supposed to follow the law. And that means all of them. So when I first became a Christian, I, uh, I spent a lot of time before then procuring MP3s. Anybody remember Napster? back in the day. So when I finally dedicated my life to the Lord, I had thousands and thousands of songs. And in the beginning, I just ignored that little voice in my head, but finally I realized that I had stolen every single one of those things. And I finally deleted all of them because I realized that if I'm going to live as a Christian, if I'm going to do the right thing, that that we have to, to, to follow the law, even if we don't agree with it. That's the big thing. We got to make sure, even if we don't agree with it, we have to follow the law. And the thing is, when we talk about following the laws, and it just so you guys know, those of you guys that like to drive 20 miles over the speed limit, speed limit's a law too. <laughs> you know, one of these days, we're going to get Living Hope Family Church bumper stickers, and only people that don't drive crazy are allowed to put them on their car, just so you know. Because you're supposed to be representing... Yeah, even Michelle's not allowed to put one on her car. <laughs> Hallelujah. You guys pray for her. That's, that's, that's why she's sitting out here. She was supposed to be in children's church. I'm like, no, baby, you need to be out here for this one. <laughs> Hallelujah. But hey, if we're being honest, in the United States, how many of us it's pretty easy to be subject to the institutions that are here? For the most part, our institutions are fair. For the most part, our laws are good. We have a representative democracy, and, and uh, while it doesn't represent every single person, the majority of the people are typically represented by the laws that we have in place, the stuff that we have going on. And the truth is, we enjoy an extraordinary amount of freedoms and rights in this country. We are the template that every other country wants to be like. We have the, the stuff that's going on in Hong Kong right now where they want to be set free. They're looking to us as the example of what they want to look like. Which is funny because most of the people who live in this country now seem to hate this country. But everybody else wants to be like this country. Somewhere there's a disconnect. Yes. We're in a good place. But imagine being a Christian in another country. What if you were a Christian in the Middle East? You know, it's pretty easy for us to be subject to the laws of this country because we're like, yeah, I, I get that. We're, they're, they're here to protect our rights, the freedom of religion. Yeah, we can be subject to that. But what if you're in a place where it's illegal to be a Christian? Where it's illegal to do these things? Where, where, they can, the, the, where it's illegal, where it's, it's, it's not illegal, but it's, it's, uh, you're oppressed heavily as a woman. What if you lived there? Imagine being in a a country where your government wants you dead just for being a Christian. Now in this particular case, the people that Peter are talking to, they are actually uh, uh, serving under Emperor Nero. So this emperor here, uh, whether to be the emperor or supreme, he's talking about Emperor Nero who uh, 
was a notoriously cruel tyrant who reigned from AD 54 to 68. And he was, he was noted as cruel not only by, by Christians, but the secular writings, writers of the time as well. Matter of fact, Tacitus, who was a Roman historian, said that the Roman people considered him corrupt. And he used to use Christians as scapegoats. He actually blamed Christians for the great fire of Rome and then ended up burning them alive to punish them for something they didn't do. He was an incredibly corrupt individual. He's the emperor. But what does Peter say to do? To be subject. Now that's a tough one. But as his Christians, we're supposed to submit to the laws and the governors and the, the people in power in the country that we live in. And the truth is, is even though uh, the government doesn't always get it right, it's actually the, the point of government is to be there to serve the people, to make our lives better, uh, to make our, the place we live a better place to live so that our lives are the best that they can be. That's actually the purpose of government, to protect our freedoms, to protect our rights. They're supposed to protect us and punish those who do wrong or those who do evil. That's what he says, right? The governors are sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. That's what the purpose of government should be. And the only caveat to this is any law or regulation that would be in violation of God's Word or your Holy Spirit-inspired conscience. That's the only time. Like That's the reason why we still send Christians and Bibles to China, even though it's illegal, because the, the, the Word says that we're supposed to preach the Gospel. So there are some cases as Christians that we are going to violate the law in so much as that it violates God's law. I want you to know that you're not allowed to download illegal MP3s does not violate any gods of God's laws. I can't, I can't use the Bible as an excuse for that. Nero would have been expected to be worshipped as a god. Peter's not saying that, hey, that's the law, you need to worship Nero as a god. That's something that he would have, and they would have understood that they were exempt from because it violated the word of God. Matter of fact, um, we, we see Peter in previous instances kind of living this out. You remember in Acts 5.29 when he said, we must obey God rather than men? They get arrested. The priest there, the, the authority over them says, hey, listen, you can't go out and be, be, be preaching this stuff. And they're like, well, that's what God told us to do. So we're going to obey God and not man. So we realize that Peter, the one who's teaching this, says be subject to Nero, understands there are situations that violate the, the will of God. And it's not the, the only time that we see that in the Bible. Do you guys remember Daniel? Him and his friends, they reject the dietary regulations of the kings, of the king. But if you notice that when they did it, they did so respectfully, not rebelliously. As a matter of fact, they asked for help and the ability to do that. They did it respectfully. So even when they are uh, violating the law for, uh, for the reason or the purpose of being in line with God's word, they're still doing it respectfully. They're still doing it without rebellion. If you think about uh, 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 Daniel again when he uh, got arrested for, for praying. Remember, he wasn't supposed to pray to his God, but he said, I'm going to do that anyway because even though the law says I can't, I'm going to worship my God because I'm not going to violate that. He got thrown into the lion's den. So this is an interesting situation. So he violated the law in order to not violate God's law, but he accepted the punishment. He didn't run. He didn't rebel. He was subject to the authority right into the lion's den. Now thank God in that particular case, God saved him. As a matter of fact, changed an entire country. 
So that's something you should remember. By being subject to the institutions that we're in, we can make an impact for the good. People will see what's going on, and they're going to want that, not what they already have. You saw it with Daniel. Paul's another example. Paul gets arrested, and he uses his Roman citizenship, he uses the institutions to go ahead and protect himself and demand an audience before Caesar. But he didn't rebel, he didn't run, he stayed subject to the institutions that he was in. And I know that it can be difficult to not be bothered by the direction of leadership in this country sometimes. I know that every single one of us have moments where we're just shaking our head at what's going on. But the reality is, as Christians, we're supposed to live in submission. We're supposed to live, live in submission to this authority. And if we want to make a change, you know that you have some opportunities to make a change. Yeah. You can vote. So one of the things that as a, as a church in this country, we have some rules that we have to follow. I'm not allowed to support a political candidate up here. I'm not allowed to endorse one. But one of the things that we're going to be doing as we get closer to the elections is, is we're going to take a look at some of the stuff that, is, that, are, that are hot topics in the, in, in the political sphere right now, and we're going to see what the Word of God says about them. We're going to see what the Word of God says about abortion. We're going to see what the Word of God says about identity, sexual identity. We're going to see what the God, uh, Word of God says about, about working for your own or taking other, other people's stuff. We're going to look at what the Bible says about these things because I'm hoping that you can go in and, and vote with an informed mind of what the Word of God says about these things. I can't tell you who to vote for, but I can tell you what the Word of God says, and let that influence who you vote for. Amen? And if we will vote according to the Word of God, we're going to see a change in this country. And the other thing that you can do besides voting to make a change is begin to preach to other people. How many know that if we get everybody saved, even the people in office, that naturally the laws and the regulations and the rules are going to be in line with the Word of God? So that's your two things you can do if you want to make a change in this country, if you don't like what's going on. And the thing is, I think that if we live our lives in this manner, being subject to authority, if we live our lives in this manner, being a perfect representation of Christ inside of us, we're going to, to, to make a difference. If we always do good, we're going to give those who oppose us no opportunity to, 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 to come into us, to, to come against us, because they'll have no opportunity to, because we're living god Godly and right lives, amen. I used to work for Frito-Lay many, many years ago. Terrible place to work if you want to keep your marriage strong. But uh, you just work a lot. Like I was never home and, and never got to see my kids. It was, it was a tough time. But one of the things that was happening in that place is that uh, they were starting to do some stuff that I didn't approve of as far as business practices and things they were doing. I won't get into any details. But needless to say that I wasn't happy with the things that they were doing. And I was a little bit vocal about it. And they didn't like that. But when I was doing that, I was on the top of my game. I never made any infraction or mistake that they could come against me with because if I gave them an opportunity, they would have found whatever they could to, to shut me up. How many know that, that that's what will happen if you live your life upright before God? Even if people want to shut you up, even if they want to uh, put slander you or, or label charges against you, that if there's, if there's nothing there, nothing will stick and we demonstrate the love of Christ and godliness to them. Amen? That's what Peter says here. By doing good, you will put the silence, the ignorant, ignorance of foolish people. What can they say if we're living above reproach? Amen? In 1 Peter 2.16, it says, Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants 
of God. You know, one of the more, more interesting things about being a Christian is our freedom. And the thing about freedom, Christian freedom, or really freedom in general, is that it's, it's often difficult to understand. We, I think we get freedom wrong. And as Americans, uh, we enjoy the protection of freedoms by the government of the United States. Uh, like I said earlier, our freedoms and rights are not given to us by the government. The, our, our freedoms the, and rights that they talk to, particularly in the Constitution, are unalienable rights given by God. The government is there just to protect those rights that are already ours. But we rely on the government to enforce and ensure that those freedoms are ours. So the thing about freedom is that in order to be free, you actually have to submit to something, to somebody, in order to protect those freedoms. Freedom is actually dependent on submission. And this is especially true as Christians. Our freedom is dependent on our submission to Christ. Because how many know the truth is, is that you're actually bondservants. That you're actually a servant to Christ. You're actually uh, beholden to Him. 1 Corinthians 6, 19-20 says, You're not your own, you were bought with a price. Romans 6.18 says you have been set free from sin, but you have become slaves to righteousness. They used to always throw me off. What does it mean to be a slave to righteousness? But then God showed me whatever you're a slave to controls you. If you're a slave to a person, they control every action that you do. Can you use the restroom? Can you go somewhere? Can you do this? Can you do that? They give you permission to do everything. When you're a slave to righteousness, it's the same thing. Righteousness dictates everything that you do. But that doesn't mean that you're allowed to do anything. See, that's the thing about freedom. That's why our freedom is not in Christ is not carte blanche to do whatever, we, anything that we want. It doesn't mean that you can do everything that you want. And that's what he's talking about here. Don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, which is what so many people do. That's where we get into this attitude of, oh, God will forgive me. I can do whatever, whatever I want. You were forgiven. You were set free so you didn't have to do those things anymore. Not so that you could do them and get away with it with no consequence. You were set free from those things. You're not free to do those things anymore. We're not free to live in sin. We're free from sin. And there's a difference. But we misunderstand freedom. We think freedom means we can do whatever we want. And we don't realize that when we live our lives like that, we're actually submitting ourselves to the yoke of slavery, to the very sin that we're supposed to be set free from. The thing is, is that freedom was never about, freedom in Christ was never about giving you the ability to do whatever you want, but rather it was giving you the ability to do what you could not before Christ. And that is to live a life without the hindrance and the 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 shackles of sin and death in your life. Freedom is about being free from those things, not free to do all the other things that you want. So don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but instead live as servants of God. That means living according to His will. That means living in submission like we were talking about. That means uh, living free from sin. And then he goes on in, uh, in verse 17 he says, honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. One of the things that I, I think, and the more I meditate on it, I think is one of the most important things that we could learn as people is to treat others is more important than ourselves. That's Philippians 2.3. Print that verse out, stick it on your fridge, put it on your mirror, meditate on it daily. I think that if every single one of us would live our lives considering everyone else is more important than us, then things would actually change in this country. 
Unfortunately, we live in a society that says, me first, everything's about me, look out for number one, and it's not getting us anywhere. But instead, if we'd look out for everybody else, I think things would naturally fall in line. Imagine what this world would look like if we all did it. But you know what? Here's the thing, Christians. You can't control what somebody else does. But you can control what you do. You can make sure that you are treating everyone else as more important than yourself. And in doing so, we're going to be honoring people. Honor who? Everyone. Even people you don't like? Even the institutions you don't like? Even your mother-in-law? Especially your mother-in-law. Honor everyone. And then love the brotherhood. He's talking about the church. We should love one another. We should care about one another. I had such a good time yesterday. We went, there was such a, a pretty big group of us went up to Picacho for that barbecue and just hung out. I enjoy spending time with my church family and getting to know everybody. It was, it was an amazing time. And that's part of loving one another is spending time with one another. But we're supposed to honor everyone, love the brotherhood, then fear God. Fearing God is, is you know, in, in today's society we think of fear like a scary movie where we're afraid of something. But to fear God is to stand in awe of God, to recognize its, its, His power, to recognize His ability, to recognize His authority and His glory. When we stand in fear of God, we're not afraid that He's going to hurt us, but we recognize the power that is contained within. And we're in awe of Him. So we, we honor everyone. We love the brotherhood. We honor or, or stand in awe of God. We fear God. And then we honor the emperor. He must have thought that when he said everyone, that people would have been like, but surely you can't mean Nero. But he says, no, just so you're clear, honor, the, honor our, our leaders, even the ones you don't like. And then he goes on in 1 Peter 2.18. This is one that's going to hit a little bit more home. Is, is uh, servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. Peter initially was, was talking about people that have authority over us, particularly the government, you know, the higher institutions of authority. But now he's beginning to address servants or really what he's talking about is slaves according to those who know more than i what they're really referring to here is like house servants or or people that served inside the house not maybe necessarily the 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 slaves that were out in the mines they probably wouldn't have been addressed by this letter but he's talking to to servants to slaves in the households of the people that he's speaking to and I think that's likely why the, the ESV translates it to servants because he's talking about people that are serving inside the house. But to be clear, they are slaves. They don't have the opportunity to come and go. They can't leave. He's not speaking to bond servants, the one that chose to stay. He's talking to ones that are slaves by no choice. And the thing is, is that in this time, when we, when we read the Bible, how many of the when you read the Bible, that the Bible is written to a specific people at a specific point in time? At this time, slavery was a reality. There's no two ways about it. Slavery, it, this was a way of life. And m many people who oppose God or oppose Christianity like to use this argument. They say that God not only allowed slavery, but He approved of slavery. And we can actually spend a lot of time 
about that argument and digging into it. But I want to point out a couple of things that I think will, will help you to realize that God wasn't for slavery. First, understand that Christianity is what actually helped to topple the Roman Empire and ultimately the terrible institution of slavery that was happening in that time. Christianity is what helped top that. Christianity was also and still is really revolutionary and the idea of, of that we are all equal. Men, women, free, a slave, rich, poor, Gentile, Jew, we're all equal. We're all the same to God. Galatians 3.28, there's neither Jew nor Greek, neither slave nor free, nor man nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Acts 10.34 says, Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. God is not for slavery. God is for equality between us. But one of the things we have to understand in this time is that, is that if you remember, the Jews expected the Messiah to come how? As a political and, and really an authoritarian or a, 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 a combative. He was there to, to free them from, the, the, from, from Rome and for, in a political sense. And a, you know, he was going to bring an army and lead an army and set them free from what they were at. And that they thought that, that, that he came to, to set them free from their physical issues, their physical slavery, their physical subjection to the Roman Empire. But I want you guys to know that, that God cares less about your physical reality and more about your spiritual reality. It's not to say he doesn't care about your physical reality, but he cares more about your spiritual reality. What did Jesus say? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his soul? God is more concerned about your spiritual reality than your physical reality. Jesus didn't come to set them free from the Romans. He came to set them free from Satan, sin, death. What he was doing was so much more important, but it might mean that they stayed in subjection to the Romans for a while while he was setting them free for something much greater. Amen? Amen. Jesus didn't come to overthrow the government. He came to overthrow sin in our lives to guarantee uh, to, to guarantee spiritual freedom, not personal or political freedom. And the same is for us. Salvation does those things. Salvation secures spiritual freedom, but not political or personal freedom. That means that as soon as you get saved, your, your life is not going to be bubblegum and lollipops. That when you get saved, you're still going to have hard times. There's still going to be times when you feel like you don't have enough money, enough provision. Your kids are acting up. Your spouse is acting up. Your employer's acting up. There's, all kind, there's always going to be stuff coming against you in your life. And you're not guaranteed uh, immediate freedom from all that stuff. There are things you will still deal with. Now, I thank God that God will get you through everything. He says to, to, to rejoice in those hardships. Not for them, but in them. That means that you're going to go through them. You're going to have to deal with them. And the good news is God will use those things which the enemy meant you harm. He will use them as a training ground to make you stronger, to make you more spiritually fit, to become a more effective preacher and teacher of the Word, to be a more effective Christian and an example to those around you. He'll use those things, but you're still going to go through them. Amen? Amen. And that's the thing. We're supposed to be subject to those in authority above us. He's talking about the, the, the slaves, the, the servants are supposed to be subject to their masters. Even if it's not a good position to be in, it's not a good place to be in. 
Because the truth is, no matter where you're at as a Christian, when you act out of line, it's not godly. And it actually negatively impacts the perception of God and Christianity and even other Christians to those around you. So Peter says, be subject to your masters, even if it's hard, even if it seems unfair. And you know, Paul had similar instructions in 1 Corinthians 7, 20-24. He says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Where, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it, but you can gain your freedom. Avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called of the Lord is a bondservant, is a freedman of the Lord. And likewise, he who was free when he was called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. In other words, if you're free, don't become a slave to man. If you're already a slave, unless you can get out legitimately, then you remain where you are. If you can get your freedom legitimately, then, then great. But if not, you remain where you are. And you just serve in a godly manner no matter where you find yourself at. And today, while there are no Christian slaves in the United States, how it does apply to our lives is really and the relationships that we have with our employers. Which ultimately is, is a, you're, you're basically trading your, your, your labor for the, the financial uh, stuff that you get in return, but you're, you're submitting yourself to them. So we should respect those who are in authority over us in the workplace. And we should be gracious and demonstrate a godly life. And we should work unto the Lord and not unto man even if the people we, we work for are pains in the butt. Because some of them are. And then he goes on in, in verses 19-20, through 20, For this is a gracious thing, when mindful of God, one endures sorrow while suffering unjustly. For what credit is it if you, when you sin, you are beaten for it, you endure, but when you do good and suffer for it, you endure. This is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So the thing is, is that when we suffer, for doing good, we're actually, what it says is that we are being gracious. In part, what that is doing is you're giving your employee something he doesn't deserve. You're being gracious when you, when you, when you, when you endure some of the stuff that, that people have to endure in those relationships. And we're demonstrating Christ because how many of you know that's exactly what He did for you? Christ endured something He should never have had to for you. He was the example that was set for us. And here's the deal. When we suffer for our own stupidity, you should just expect that. Matter of fact, most of the stuff you suffer for in your life is your own fault. The devil can't be everywhere at every time. He, most of the stuff that we deal with is because we do dumb things. I know this because I do dumb things. And I can't believe that I'm the only one that does dumb things and gets myself in a mess. Now I thank God God is always there. He walks beside me, but sometimes I have to deal with some stuff. I walk in that. As the old saying goes, you make your bed, you lie in it. Amen? And sometimes we're going to endure consequences for the decisions and the mistakes that we make. Doesn't mean we're not forgiven. Doesn't mean we're not free. You think of the most extreme example of if, 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 if uh, a Christian were to murder somebody, which would be highly out of character, but they could still be forgiven. But they might spend the rest of their life in prison. There's still a consequence that they have to deal with, even though God still loves them and they could still be forgiven. Amen? And there's no credit or reward for suffering for your own stupidity. 
It's just kind of part of life. It's, it's reaping what you sow. But, when we do good and endure, God says it's gracious. There is a reward for that. There is credit for that. This is a good thing in the sight of God. God's, you know, when you do something stupid and get yourself in a mess, God's not thinking, man, that's my boy. <laughs> He'll walk beside you. But when you're suffering for doing good, I think God looks down and, and, and you're going to find favor for that. And He'll get you through that. And it's just temporary. So if you're being wronged, and I want to be clear, there's a difference between being slighted or wronged and being abused. If you're being abused, then get out of the situation. But if you're just dealing with some normal work stuff, or you're being persecuted for your faith in particular, sometimes you just got to stick it out. Stand strong. Don't gossip or moan and complain to your other co-workers. If you have a real issue, go to the people above you and, and make your complaint. If you're being abused, you're being harmed, or you're asked to be doing something illegal, any of those things, and you go above. But if you just don't like a decision your boss made, gossiping, complaining, that's not very Christian-like. Matter of fact, gossiping is a sin, just in case you were, were unsure of that. And don't try to be underhanded. Because people will notice that and go, aren't you supposed to be a Christian? And we begin to paint Christians in a negative light. We begin to drag the name of Jesus through the mud. But how many know that you can actually win your workplace if you demonstrate a right and godly attitude and work ethic in everything that you do, even when it's most inconvenient? Amen? And then in verse 21 through 23, you see that Christ set the example. He says, For to this you have been called because. Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in His steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in His mouth. And when He was reviled, He didn't revile in return. When He suffered, He did not threaten, but He continued entrusting Himself to the One who judges justly. See, one of the things that we instantly start thinking when we go through this stuff is we say, this just isn't fair. And the truth is, it's probably not. But as my mom always said, life isn't fair certainly wasn't fair for Christ to give His life for ours. We deserved that punishment. We deserved the death that He died. We deserved everything that He endured. It wasn't fair, but He did it with joy for us. He is our example in enduring suffering. And we're to follow in His footsteps and he suffered and endured more than we could ever imagine. And in response, he didn't sin. He didn't complain. He didn't gossip. He didn't threaten. He didn't revile. He didn't slander. He didn't do any of those things. But he did put his life in the hands of the one who judges justly. He trusted his Father, just like we should be trusting in our God. Amen? Amen. So here's the thing. You guys remember when Jesus told the, the parable about, about parable about see my head's going too fast. Parable about Lazarus and the rich man. So if you guys remember that, he was he was uh, poor and he was covered in sores his entire life. It was so bad the dogs would come up and lick on his sores. And he finally passed away and he found himself at the side of Abraham. And then we have the rich man, he dies and he sees this, and what's the rich man do? He complains, This isn't fair. Why does he get that? But what did Abraham say? He said, 
when you lived on this earth, you got your reward. Now he's getting his. You see, that's the thing. Sometimes we'll suffer as we live in this life, but none of that can take away the reward that we're going to have in heaven. And I promise you, you don't want to trade that reward so that you can have everything perfect right now. The truth is, is that when we trust in Jesus, He will see us through every situation. And I believe that that's not just one day in heaven we're going to be okay. I think He'll he'll see you through it right now. He'll be there right now. He'll get you through the situation. It may not be a a prayer and it happens immediately, but He's always going to walk beside you and give you the strength and courage and, and whatever you need to endure the situation, to make it through. But even if that wasn't the case, even if that wasn't the reality, When we trust in Jesus, the one who judges rightly, we have a reward and an inheritance that will greatly exceed any reward or any fairness that we might receive in this life. And I can tell you right now, it's going to be worth it. The truth is, is this this, uh, fleeting moments that we live in this world is is nothing compared to eternity. You don't want to trade a hundred years if you're really lucky, of a good life now so that you spend an eternity away from God. Amen? And then we'll finish here in verses 24 and 25. He Himself bore our sins in His body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. We talked about that, being a slave to righteousness, living to righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed, for you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. Jesus gave everything for us so that we can endure any garbage that we could go through on this earth. That we might be completely free, which is to say dead to sin. And that we might live to righteousness. That righteousness would dictate everything that we do in our life. It goes on to say that by His wounds we have been healed. This is not only a spiritual healing, which is referred to in in Isaiah. Many people understand this to be a spiritual healing, but it's also, I believe, physical healing in your bodies too. That was paid for by Christ. Matthew 8.14-17 tells you this. Jesus goes around healing all the sick, and He says this was to fulfill by His wounds you have been made whole. So if the apostles considered it physical healing as well, I think we're okay to do the same. And the truth is, is there was a time that we were lost, but we have been found in Him. So in whatever situation that we find ourselves in church, let's live like it. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's go ahead and bow our heads. Hallelujah.